Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. On this episode, my guest is Weldon Burge. Weldon is a freelance writer, editor, and publisher, and he currently has an Indiegogo project for a horror anthology, Zippered Flesh 3, Yet More Tales of Body Enhancements Gone Bad. That campaign is currently ongoing on Indiegogo, and I'm going to talk to Weldon about that project in more detail, but first I'm going to talk to Weldon about his writing and his decision to start his own publishing company, Smart Rhino Publications, based in Delaware. Now the focus of this show is comic book writers and artists, and there is actually a connection to a comic book artist that you will hear about in this interview with Weldon. And on my show, in addition to speaking with comic book writers and artists that you've heard of, I also like to speak to other writers and artists working outside of the world of comic books, although most of the focus will be on comic books. And that's not going to change. That's basically the mission of this podcast. But once in a while, I do run across a local talent or a talent that's outside of the medium of comic books, especially those writers and artists who are very passionate about their projects. And you can learn a lot just listening to them tell their story. Take Weldon, for example. It's not easy starting your own business. There's a lot of risk involved, and we'll talk about that. And it's not just all take, take, take. Weldon does give back, and you're going to find out how he does that in this interview. So, without further ado, let's get started. And let me know what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Creator Talks Pod. So here now is my interview with Weldon Burge on Creator Talks. Weldon, welcome to Creator Talks. Oh, thanks, Chris. You're a Delaware native like myself, and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. they, they say never talk about the weather, you know, it's so <laughs> pedestrian. But let's talk about the weather. Now, we're, you know, not too far from each other, and there right. is a major storm bearing down on us right now, or coming mm-hmm. soon, Stella. <laughs> It'll be okay. fairly, fairly current with what you're, we're going to talk about this evening. Uh, okay. I, I, got a, I heard a new term today. It's a, a bombogenesis storm. I heard that. Did you hear yeah, that? That's, that's so weird, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a made-up word. It does. It does. It, it sounds like the start of a dance or something. But, um, yeah, it sounds like the apocalypse. It, and everyone's out rushing to get milk, bread, and eggs. Uh, like, yeah, you know, bread, yeah. We're all going to yeah. make omelets tomorrow, right, and, and, and French toast. Um, but if you're like me, the most important thing to have in ready supply in case of a power outage is beer and wine. Right. Because uh, yep. the batteries are a given, but you got to make sure you have that because you're going to be stuck at home without power. Beer and wine and a good book. Good book. I was going to say, good book is great. Absolutely. Yep. So let's talk about books. And you're working in books. So right now, for a living, you're a full time editor, freelance yep. writer, and publisher. So let's yep. start with the types of stories you like to tell and why. I like suspense horror. I like to write that. I've, ever since I was a kid, I've been writing that. Uh, probably goes back to me watching The Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, all that sort of thing. And also, my uncle, way back when, Uncle Donald, had a box full of EC comics, all those horror comics, that I just fell in love with. Because my mom hated it, that I was reading that stuff, but, <laughs> but I loved it. So, And, and I kind of grew from there. I, I mean, I wrote a lot of very bad fiction through high school and even into college. And I kind of went to the side and did some nonfiction. I actually worked for the News Journal. I, I wrote for them briefly back in the 80s kind of aging myself here um so i've been i've been writing pretty much everything uh, for as long as i can re- remember um i've done garden writing i've done uh 
like I said, from the news journal, I've done feature stories for them, and uh, obviously the fiction, which I really love to do. Well, I can see why you would want to do that kind of writing, having grown up reading EC Comics and watching The Twilight Zone and Outer Limits. I mean, that's great source material to draw from, you know, a great inspiration. <laughs> Have you always been a writer? I mean, is this like what you're doing now? Is this like a second career? Or is this, has this always been your focus? No, it's always been my focus. I, I, in college, I was, I was focused on journalism. And after college, I was writing freelance wherever I could and became pretty well diversified. In fact, the job I have now, I'm, I'm the director of publications at Independent School Management. And when I got the job 25 years ago, aging myself again, um, I just brought on my portfolio and showed the CEO what I've done over the years, and she was sold right then and there, which is really cool. So I, I've enjoyed doing just about everything. Um, someone asked me to write something, I will do it, <laughs> regardless <laughs> of what it is. You're very lucky. You're You're doing something that you love to do. Exactly. And yep. would you agree with that saying that if you're doing something you love, it's really not work? Which, you know, everything, there's always some work in everything you do. But do you feel right. that way? Like you really yeah. hit the jackpot finding the right calling? I love it. I love it. A lot of it is love for, the, for what you're doing. Um, it doesn't always pay a lot, you know. But it's, there's some joy in, in having something in print and seeing your name, you know, below the title. That's, that's even more valuable than money most of the time. You still have to pay the bills, but there's something about writing and that sense of accomplishment that you have that that means the world to what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah to be able to draw satisfaction from it is really yep. important. Otherwise, it does become just work and grind. yeah, just grind. And you do have that satisfaction of seeing your name in print and seeing your work published and having other people enjoy it as well. On the flip side of that, I'm also an editor a couple of decades now. And I also love working with other writers. I mean, I, I've been sitting on both sides of the desk, so to speak, and working with others to, to help them, you know, focus their careers and that sort of thing is, is very satisfying as well. And that's a lot of why I do what I do, is working with these other folks. That must really help you, too, as a writer, having that ability to put on the editorial hat and say, hmm, you know, is this what, how I want to express this? Is this how I want to present this? Yeah, it's exactly right. Uh, I'm a much better writer because of them, and they've actually given me more than I've given them over the years. I, I was wondering, yeah, you, you're you're drawing a lot of knowledge and inspiration from your the people that you're editing exactly. as well. And, and you can see problems that you might oversee in your own work. So you're actually helping yourself to, to understand and, and be able to recognize problems by looking at the problems that some other one, someone else has, and then it can reflect on what you're doing. So it actually helps you in the long run. I would oh. recommend being an editor to anybody who wants to write. And tell me about some of the stories that you have written that have been published in magazines and in anthologies. Um, well, just last year, uh, one of my stories was in the Beach Nights Anthology, which is a local uh, Rehoboth the Beach anthology that comes out every year. It's my first story that I've done for them. Um, the theme for that was obviously Beach Nights in Rehoboth, so it had to have a Rehoboth theme to it. And it has to be nights, obviously. So the thing I wrote was about the haunted mansion on the on the boardwalk there, because that kind of ties into the kind of stuff that I like. So it was it was fun. So some local horror. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ooh, all right. That, was, that must add to the creepiness factor if it's something nearby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wrote a couple of horror stories for Out and About. Both of those have been republished a couple times. 
Now, some of your stories I read have been adapted for podcasts. Not a lot of stories. Well, I shouldn't say not a lot, but but not all stories are, of course, translated to podcast or or audio. But it's pretty right. much like a you know, the old book on tape or book on CD or MP3 right. story. Travelcast is, is pretty cool because it's run by Norm Sherman, who's down in Baltimore, and he's a musician first of all, but he can do voices and all that sort of thing. So, so when he reads the story, he just reads it straight out. But it's it's very much like an old radio show way he does it at some point like around 2012 you decided with your wife cindy that you're going to start your own publishing company yeah. mm-hmm. and i would love to have been a fly on the wall to hear that conversation between you and your wife about deciding to take that dive because you know there's a lot of risk involved right. and a lot of stress especially for a couple so tell me how did that conversation go it's interesting because she's been very supportive of just about everything i do and I, you know i love her for it um, I actually bought the domain online for uh, Smart Rhino back in the year 2000. I've had the domain, domain that long, but it wasn't until 2012 that I actually saw a way to make it work. And a lot of that was um, CreateSpace and Kindle coming along. And then it became cost you know, efficient to do that. Back in 2000, it, you know, it would be, um, there wasn't really any POD, you know, published on demand back then. You'd have to go to a printer and get it done which back then was very expensive. You know, everything that's happened technologically has, has helped a lot of writers, and self-publishing has really boomed in the past decade. Um, there's a lot of dreck out there because of that, but it did open some doors for the people that are very talented. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's happened in books, it's happened in yeah. comics, it's happened in podcasts. Yes, there's a lot of dreck out there, but there's a lot of really good quality stuff and a lot of very talented people that probably would not get a chance to get that exposure if it were not for the platform making it so easy to, or easier to get their work disseminated to the public. Well, one of, one of the missions of Smart Rhino Publications is to do exactly what you're talking about. I, I wanted to always have a venue for people who are talented but don't have the foot in the door yet. So even though with the anthologies that I do, I usually get some name writers. It's really the ones that are that are not well established yet. They're the ones that I really enjoy working with. And I've had a number of writers. This, this was their first uh, sale to one of my books. And like I said earlier, that, that satisfaction of working with those folks is, is extremely uh, satisfying. And I'm sure they're very appreciative, too. And and it is really a good idea and a smart idea to um, have some lesser-known writers paired up with mm-hmm. well-known writers because it gives them the exposure that they probably wouldn't otherwise get if someone right. is reading the book. I mean, I'll do the same thing sometimes with podcasts. If I go to a con and I'm speaking to a writer or to an artist, I might pair them up with another writer or artist on that podcast because someone might say, oh, I want to listen to this interview with Neil Adams or Bob Layton, but I have somebody else that they're not familiar with that they, at least that way they get some exposure and someone else can hear their story. And they might say, you know what? That sounds pretty good. I, I'm glad I found out about that. And that's things that I found out reading and listening to podcasts that I would never consider had I not had that exposure to it through maybe being paired with something else that I did like. Exactly. It's, uh, the collaboration between the editor and writer is, is um, supreme. That's the thing that you really need to, to work out. Um, there are some writers that I couldn't work with, and, uh, you know, and it, it was not a, a personality thing. It was just that their type of writing didn't fit what I'm doing. Uh, it, they had great work writing. It just didn't fit with what I'm doing. Uh, and I, I felt bad about not work, being able to work with them, but I think most of them understood. 
but the ones that I'm able to work with, they really appreciate what I'm doing. And if you look, look through the anthologies that I've published, uh, many of those writers have appeared two, three times, and that that's great. That makes me <laughs> that makes my heart pound. You know? <laughs> I, I just love that. Well, it's important to have a, a strong relationship between the writer and editor, that they work together well, that the writer feels they have enough freedom, but they have enough input so they can further hone their craft, that you have to have the proper writers because you want to stay true to the mission of your business. You don't want to go outside that mission and, and dilute what you have built by just adding other things in there. Well, the other thing is, as I mentioned, I like working with local writers. I'm also a member of the Written Remains Writers Guild which is here in, in Delaware. Um, they have some folks outside of Delaware, but most of them are here in Delaware. And we have critique groups, and I'm in, I'm in one of those. I'm in the, um, the mixed genre group for that. And we meet once a month and, and go through stories and critique each other. Um, I've been with the Written Remains folks for about five years now, and we published uh, an anthology, I guess it was three years ago, called Someone Wicked. And uh, most of the, the writers in there are local. And the the book went over very well. It was well received and well reviewed. And we have another book planned for next year. So the, I I just like working with locals too because I can have them to my house. <laughs> right. I sit down and have drinks and eat with them and and talk about this kind of stuff, which is totally different from what I'm doing right now with you. Um, there's something more uh, personable, you know, than than what we do normally over the transom. So a lot of these writers, I have writers from around the world, actually, um, that I will probably never meet. So there is that kind of distance. But, but just the same, I, I learn from them and have created good uh, relationships with them despite the distance. I, I hear you. I've said this on the podcast before, and my listeners know this, but I have often said that when I go to a convention and I get a chance to speak with writers and artists in person, mm-hmm. And establish that connection and just chit-chat for a while. It might not be an interview. It might just be some chit-chat. Uh, it, it, is, it is rejuvenating. It, it is inspiring. And it makes it all worthwhile. And I just feel like after I come back, even though I'm exhausted, I feel charged up because I've talked to all these people. And now I'm even more interested in their work because I've had a chance to have that conversation. And, and I know who's behind the story. You know, the, the blood and sweat that's going into that. You know, a little bit of themselves going into that work and their, their, their background. So that I'm sure for you as an editor, it's really good to sit there face-to-face, get to know the person, read the body language, see if they're comfortable with what you know, you're yeah. working on to put in the book. It, it's, it makes a world of difference. And it's not always possible. Some people are very far away, and some people I haven't met in person, and I had great conversations with. So thanks to the technology, I can do that. But if you can have that one-on-one, and being local like you are, you can do that, and you're also helping local writers which is which is fantastic. Exactly. Do you ever get a chance to take it on the road at uh, writing conventions or sci-fi conventions, um, horror conventions? I've, I've done the Galacticon once, mm-hmm. which was which was a lot of fun. Uh, I didn't sell a lot of books there, but getting back to what you were just saying, I talked to a lot of people that came by the table, and and I could get a feel for what they liked and what they didn't like, and, and a lot of them would just walk right by my table because I have the horror stuff in there. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're looking for romance novels or something, I don't know. The, the people that at the Comic-Con were very um, into what, what I have here, so I thought that was cool. And uh, it was also cool because I turned around one time and Darth Vader and um, Gene Simmons with his battle axe guitar were, were standing right behind me. <laughs> 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 <It was> really cool. <laughs> 
So you never know what you're going to run into at those kinds of cons, you know? <laughs> well, it's a great place to set up a table because right now and for the past several years, there's probably been more variety in comic books since oh geez the 40s i mean it's even even the 40s a lot of it was superhero there were there were certain uh genres that would you know be in the forefront like westerns and sci-fi in the 50s right. but now there's so much diversity and horror is very big in comics right now so mm-hmm. you're going to pick up those people that want a little more content and they like to get into the prose horror stories as well right. so yeah it's 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 a great place to be uh, I, was, I was gonna say I, I hooked up with a I think I told you about this a, a comic um, artist from down in Florida, and she does mainly superhero type of stuff. But I saw something um, online that she did about it was a, a, a geisha girl that had a bloody fan, and I was pulling together at that time the Insidious Assassins anthology, and I contacted her and I said, you know, I'd really like to use this for the cover. And she goes, well, don't use that. Let me do something else for you. And the cover that she created was fantastic. You know, so, so I love, if you look at my covers, I, I try to find as many different artists as I can. But hers is one of my favorites, and, and um, I hope to work with her again. But it doesn't really have a comic book feel. It, it's, it's very fitting for what the um, book is about. And she handled that very well. So I, I would love to work with more artists like her. And that was Whitney Cook? Yes. Do you find that certain covers help the book sell better than others? That's very definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, a lot of people will, will go by at the table, like at the conference, they will pick the book up and say, "Wow, look at this," and then they'll start thumbing through it. Um, if they don't pick it up to begin with, they're not going to thumb through it. So the, the, they're attracted to the cover, which is important. And typically, what they do is they look at the cover flip it over and see whatever what names are on it, you know, what authors are included in this, and then they'll open up and look. So that, that's one of the reasons I love doing the anthologies is because I can have a great number of, of writers uh, doing this. I, I've worked with over 70 writers now with Smart Rhino Project, and uh, that's, that's just great that I was able to do that. Let me, I just want to back up for a second. How did you get the name for the company, Smart Rhino? Uh, that's a long, that's, well, it's a short story, actually. Um, I had this dream, and it wasn't a nightmare, it was a fun dream. And I saw Rodan's thinker uh, with a rhino head. <laughs> and I, I suddenly woke up, and I, I said to myself, wow, that must have been a smart rhino. <laughs> and and I, I wrote it down, I'm like, that's got to be something, you know. And it just came from that, and, and, and it sounded like a catchy thing that no one was using, so I, I went with that. Yeah. And, and this whole thing started as an idea back in like 2000 and you wait until the platform was right but right. you must have thought you know I've got to put some skin in the game to make this work um, right. you know you have to invest in it because some people don't invest until they have the audience but I think you and I both know that if you don't put some investment up front of your, you know, your own sweat equity and effort and right. cash it just may never take off you don't, you don't want to produce a cheap product Right, exactly. Yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, it's kind of a labor of love at first. And to be honest, I had to, to um, pay writers fairly low rates, unfortunately. But a lot of people kicked in anyway. Um, Graham Masterton, who's the best-selling author, uh, I offered to pay him the amount. And he wrote back and said, just give it to, to charity. So I said, okay, I'll give it to the food bank of Delaware. He said, yeah, just give anything you want to the food bank. <laughs> okay, cool. 
So he's written for me three times now, and I haven't had to pay him anything. All my money went to charity. So it's, that's that's really cool, and that's the way a lot of these writers are. I mean, that you know, I go to these horror conferences, and and because um, I'm a member of the Horror Writers Association, and they're the nicest people you could ever meet. They're mm-hmm. working out their problems in their writing. <laughs> they're very <laughs> calm. I mean, it's like me. I'm I'm kind of uh, calm and and not very stressed out at all. And most of them are the same way. Now, if you went into a room of romance writers, it's totally different. (laughs) 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 Anyway. (laughs) So it's been like uh, six years now, and you've passed the hump. I mean, for I've read that for businesses, small businesses, half survive four to five years. So you're you're past that. What challenges did you face initially? I've been very lucky because I've I've been in the publishing business um, before I started this, obviously, and and I know a lot of people. Um, the networking is a big deal, um, so I know I know designers, I know people that can do the covers, um, and most of them, to be honest with you, did it pro bono. They, they, you know, I've worked with them, I know them, and they, they're very excited to do it. And uh, I hand them a project, and they're like, they're thrilled to death to do it. And they end up with a book afterwards. I hand them all books. And I, uh, last year we had a party here at my house uh, with all these folks. And, and, you know, I was showing them my, my appreciation. And, you know, a lot of the publishers, that's where a lot of money comes in is, is the production side of it. Uh, for me, that hasn't really been a problem. So I'm not going to you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the covers and all that, um, I work with about four different designers and, it's it's been very easy for me to work with them, so I, I can't complain. Yeah. And are the books printed locally or? Um... Yes, yeah, uh, CreateSpace does the paperbacks. And okay. Kindle, so most of it's sold that way. Um, but I I'd also have books on Barnes and Noble, Smashwords, and, and elsewhere. Um, if you go to the Second of Charles here in Wilmington, they have books on our books on the shelves there. So I try, I try to go around to local stores. The Hokesson bookstore has our stuff there. Um, down in Rehoboth, that, that bookstore has our stuff there. So we try to get around. Yeah. That's good. It's it's nice to go into a bookstore and actually browse the racks. I mean, yes, there is stuff on bronzenoble.com and Amazon, and that's all well and good, and it's convenient. But just to get out, it's just like going out and meeting people at a con or, you know, like, like you do, you're mm-hmm. face-to-face with your writers. It's nice to go out there and be face-to-face with the books, too. You know, well, smell the pulp. It's interesting because Kindle, if you look at the stats, the Kindle books are kind of leaning, um, and especially with kids. Um, and if you look at high school kids, um, if they're reading for pleasure, they want a hand, the book in hand. They, they don't want the Kindle. So I've, I've noticed that, too, that the Kindle sales are not as strong as they were three or four years ago. So I think people are getting back to, to you know, paperbacks and hardbacks. There's something tangible about that. You know, and, and there's something pleasurable about sitting in a chair and, and opening the book. So I, I think that's coming back. We'll, we'll see. But. And it's also probably not the best thing to sit there with the Kindle on the beach. Exactly. Yeah, a little dangerous. And yeah. it is nice to have a tactile feeling holding the book. Um, and if you have a power outage and your batteries run out on your tablet, well, then grab a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, you can read a book anywhere. That's <laughs> the nice thing about it. Yep, now, yep. you have one that you're working on right now, putting together, Zippered Flesh 3, More Tales of Body Enhancement Gone Bad. That series, actually, the, the first one, the Zippered Flesh, um, that, that was the first thing we published, and it, it went over very well, surprisingly, and, and for the first, you know, first go, 
Uh, it was very well reviewed, and a lot of people bought the book, and I was so pleased that the first shot out, because a lot of publishers first shot out, they fail, and this did not. And um, the second volume, uh, The Zipper Clutch 2, actually had two stories in there that were Bram Stoker nominees, and if you know anything about that, that's the Horror Writers Association, uh, kind of the Oscars for, for that group. And we had two stories out of the six that were nominated. And for, uh, pat myself on the back here, for a small publisher that had only been in business two years, that was phenomenal. And, uh, and those two writers, Lisa Minetti and Michael Bailey, have gone on to be best-selling authors. So it's, it's pretty cool. And you have, as you already mentioned, some award, you have a lot of award-winning writers Mm-hmm. contributing to these books. Why don't you just tell me some of the writers on the current one that you're putting together, Zippered Flesh 3. You said Graham Masterson, and he's yeah, contributing he to this one. Uh, uh, Jack Ketchum is another one. And mm-hmm. William F. Nolan of Logan's Run yeah, fame? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, he's he works with Jason Brock, who I also have. Um, those two are pretty close, and um, Jason's story is very good as well. Um, I worked with, quite a bit with Billy Sue Moseman, who, who's both horror and suspense. Uh, James Doerr is another one. He was uh, nominated for one of his novels, and I've published him three times, I think, now. Matt Hilton is another one. He's a British suspense writer, and I just interviewed him for Suspense Magazine, by the way. And I, I've worked with a lot, of, a lot of folks. Sean Meeks is another one. So, yeah. And so the purpose of raising the funds for this one is to pay the writers fairly for their work. Exactly. And to be able to print the work. I've not been able to to get professional rates, and I was hoping that this would do the job. Um, They they certainly deserve to be paid better than I've been paying them. And um, I'm a writer, too. I understand how that works. I mean, I want to be paid well for my work. Why should I not pay them for their work? Yeah. And you've you've reached your initial funding goal at this point as as of this interview, mm-hmm. but um, if I understand, the more you can raise, the more stories that can be included. Then that's the plan. I, I have a number of stories waiting in the wings to accept. Uh, I don't have the funding for them yet, and there are folks that I really want to get into the book. Uh, I was shooting for twenty five stories. I think I have thirteen right now, and I can probably fund twenty at this point. So, you know, the more I get in, the better it'll be. Well, why don't you tell us about uh, some of the levels uh, for contributors on Indiegogo. If they go into Indiegogo, look up Zippered Flesh 3. Um, tell me what some of the, the, um, the benefits are of, of, for contributors at various levels. Uh, for various levels, um, all of the levels I have, you're going to get your name in the back of the book. So we'll, we'll have a, uh, a list in the back of the book of the, everyone who supports us. We also are giving away books, so at certain levels you might receive, well, you will receive the Zipper Flesh 3 when it's released uh, at the $25 level, and then beyond that, you know, you might get all three of the Zipper Flesh trilogy. Um, There are other books added on. We're trying to give away um, prints of the original art for Zipper Flesh 3, and there are a few other perks in there that you might want. Um, One of the the best perks is probably... Uh, my own editing. <laughs> There's a perk in there where I will I will go over something with you, your story, and edit it, and you know suggest different markets for it and so forth. 
Uh, that's pretty hard to find nowadays, someone who will do that. It is. It's like a class with the master. Um, <laughs> and it's it's a small price to pay. You have about 10 days left. So by the time this, this interview goes up, there'll be nine, eight days left. So there'll still be time for people to check it out, go to Indiegogo, and look for the book so they can pitch in and help out. And this will be your 11th publication. Yeah. Through Smart Rhino. But after that, do you have a long-range plan for other books, things that are kind of germinating right now that you'd like to see yeah. come to fruition? Um, the Written Remains, the other thing I mentioned earlier, um, we're planning to do an anthology. This be the second one with them, mm-hmm. uh, titled A Plague of Shadows, which will be about different kinds of hauntings. So that should be interesting. Uh, we already have a few stories for that. I think people are going to enjoy that. Uh, we've done two... Assassins books. We did Uncommon Assassins and Insidious Assassins. There will be a third one of those. And beyond that, I haven't really thought of anything. I'd like to do a weird Western type of anthology that's kind of out there yet. And how would people reach out to you? Like what website, social media, how can they contact you? Uh, Probably the easiest way is to go to my Facebook page. Just just look for Welton Burge or Smart Rhino Publications and just message me there. And you also have a newsletter, e-newsletter for folks? Yes, uh, the, the Smart Rhino Publications e-letter. Uh, it's a monthly thing that I do, and every issue has an interview with a, with a writer in there. Uh, just recently, well, just the other day, I did James Dore. And a lot of the interviews that I do, I end up putting on my blog as well. So if you go my, to my blog at weldonburge.com, you'll see a lot of writers that I've interviewed for Suspense Magazine and others. So, uh, you know, a lot of these writers are... It's not just horror writers, suspense writers and fantasy writers. I, I try to, to be diverse in the folks that I listen, talk to. And you have writing tips in your blog, too, in your newsletter. Yeah. That information's out there, and uh, it's free. You just exactly. have to sign up. Yeah. That's it. Yep. That's it. I mean, when I started the, the company, one of my major goals is to, to do quality work. And I'm very meticulous in the editing and the formatting and all that sort of thing. Um, and I've... People have told me, "Wow, this is pretty good for an indie publisher," and I love I love when I hear that too, and because I do put a lot of effort into this. Well, it's your name on it. You know, I mean, you're very yeah. close to the work. This isn't a gigantic corporation, so right. it, it yeah. really it shouldn't. People shouldn't be surprised that for an indie that there's that much love and attention to detail and quality. Well, there, there are a lot of people. I don't want to put people down, but there's a lot of slapdash stuff out there where people think there is um, get quick you know, get-rich-quick type of thing. This doesn't work that way. I mean, you have to put a lot of grunt and sweat behind it to make it work. And, you know, it might take a few years. I mean, I've been doing this for, what, five years now. It's not easy. You know, there's a lot of late nights and things like that. But if you don't love it, then you're not going to do it. It does take some sacrifice, but it's well worth it when you start seeing the results. But, you know, you're absolutely right. There's no shortcut. Uh, just because right. you know it's it's easier now to get your work out there doesn't mean it's going to get noticed. Just because right. it's easier now to get onto the internet and post things doesn't mean that it's going to get picked up, and doesn't mean that it's quality. And there's a lot there to choose from. There's a lot of uh, different channels. Uh, you know, televisions. There's still radio, satellite. It, exactly. There's so much pulling at us. You have to do a good job. You have to put effort into it. And you have to build your audience. It just takes time. There's just no shortcuts. There are so many things reaching for your, your attention. And you have to jump out from the crowd. And you can't just throw something out there. It's, it's not a field of dreams type of thing. I mean, just because you throw it out there doesn't mean people are going to see it. Um, you have to be 
meticulous and you have to be very driven to make this work. And not not everyone has that. I just love talking with people and especially helping helping them when they're writing. So uh, the more I can do of that, the better. So uh, thank you very much for letting me uh, bend your ear for a little bit. And that is my interview with writer, editor, and publisher, Weldon Burge. Please check out his Indiegogo horror anthology project, Zipper Flesh 3, Yet More Tales of Body Enhancements Gone Bad. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As I said, from time to time, I will be speaking to lesser-known writers and artists. They have a story to tell as well, and I think those are worth sharing with you. But this Thursday, we're back to comic books, and I will be speaking with Ed Brisson, who will be writing... Iron Fist, and Old Man Logan for Marvel Comics, and that is coming up later this week on Thursday. So I have a jam-packed month of March with lots of interviews, probably be doing more than one a week uh, for a few weeks, so stay tuned. There's lots of more great interviews to come. And the easiest way to make sure you never miss an episode is to subscribe, and you can do that through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or if you prefer, just download the episode from SoundCloud. And for upcoming show announcements, you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. And you can also visit my website, CreatorTalks.com. That's CreatorTalks.com. So that's it for today's episode. It's going to be a fairly short one, but I'll have another one coming up later this week, as I said, with Ed Brisson. And if you have some time, please feel free to go to iTunes and write a review about the show, or you can write a review on Stitcher. Your feedback is much appreciated. Convention season's already kicked off for 2017, so I'll be gearing up to go to a few conventions next month so I can bring you more great interviews. You have a lot of choices out there and a lot of podcasts you can listen to, and I thank you for choosing this one. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time. Mm-hmm.